Hey everybody, it's part two, parte dos of the BucketCast tonight. I'm your host, BucketReviews.com, film critic and podcaster, yes, podcaster, Danny Baldwin, and joining me once again is our co-host, Michael. I'm, a, I'm at least a seven, not a five. Lester. Actually, I believe it was a six that I was classified as for uh, the rating scale. That's She's harsh. Really, I, it is. I was... This, this, I didn't know how to respond. This all relates to She's Out of My League, which revives the whole numeric evaluation of uh, people's attractiveness, which I thought was kind of going out. And ironically, the movie's message might be that that should go away, but I think it will uh, it will prolong this, this in our <laughs> culture a lot more than it will stop it, you know, because that's essentially what the movie's about. But that's not up yet. First, we're going to be talking about, well, just a little bit of small talk on the trailers that have been coming out. Uh, summer is upon us, clearly, as we have seen at the Multiplex, Michael. Uh, have you seen any big trailers? Uh, the big one's Iron Man 2. Uh, I haven't, actually, I haven't seen Iron Man 2 in theaters yet. Really? Oh, it maybe, wasn't on She's Out of My League? Actually, I think it was, but I was, maybe it was, you know. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> maybe, I what don't know. What were you doing at midnight when seeing that? Uh, <laughs> drinking coffee, trying to stay awake. Oh, um, Okay. And I mean, there's you know Clash of the Titans, obviously. Um, but that's kind of an April release, although that has been heavily true. advertised. Uh, Last Airbender is the big one that was attached to She's Out of My Life. There was a, there was yeah there was a new one for she uh, for the Last Airbender, which uh, I can't. I'm hoping Shyamalan like recuperates a little bit from the happening. Uh, <laughs> maybe some Dev Patel on his side. And strangely enough, Dev Patel, I, I thought that. Speaking of our topics, we have Oscar shorts we're reviewing, and there's one that's just like Slumdog Millionaire. Might even be kind of a bit of a copy over. If it's mm, I, uh, think Michael so. doesn't agree with me on this, uh, but what is this? This is anyway. What did you think of the Iron Man two trailer, Michael? Do you think it was good? Uh, I think it'll be uh, as good as the original. Uh, yeah, I liked it. Um, I I don't know if it'll be good as original, but I think it's got a lot of a. Uh, Potential. I mean, Mickey Rourke, Scarlett Johansson. I mean, uh, Sam Rockwell. That's dynamite. I mean, it's, Don uh, Cheadle. It's like you're. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I went. In there. other words, not Terrence Howard. So sad. But then again, it might have been Terrence Howard's fault, given it was clearly a contractual debate. But uh, um, I, I, I think that the trailer really helps us to realize that this could be yet another good superhero movie for John Favreau, and that's. That's really amazing because the first one was such an accomplishment. And I thought this trailer, which is making waves all over the internet, was great. And it's even better in theaters with the sound pumping. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, especially since I don't like Marvel. Oh, why? Why? What's so wrong with Marvel? I do not like Marvel comics. But I you am, like I the sp- movies, right? I mean, like, didn't you like Spider-Man 2 especially? I mean... I, I liked Iron Man. Um, Spider-Man's all right. But, but number two, Spider-Man 2 is such a... But, you know, most of the time I chalk up the good Marvel films to uh, direction. John Favreau, uh, Sam Raimi. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, if and it, Ang Lee. Did you ever watch Hulk? Y- I you made me. Did you like it? Yeah, actually, I think Ang Lee did a really good job with that, too. But as far as anything else goes, if they don't have, like, a powerhouse director, I really don't like Oh, who Marvel said films. that the Ang Lee Hulk would have been so stupid, but... Ah, I opened your mind up, and I'm very happy about that. I didn't know that. Let's only hope Iron Man 2 is as good as Hulk. <laughs> that was... <laughs> 
I'm like, I don't know why I've become in such a minority. Like, all the critics loved the movie when it came out. I don't know why I've become, like, ridiculed for loving Hulk. But I guess the fanboys didn't like it. We got that crappy, crappy Incredible Hulk, which you liked, too. So, uh, um, I, I don't know. I remember I, I, us seeming to come out of a showing of that movie and... I said, say, no, no, no. Uh, but Danny, I, I just, I see it in your face. You didn't like that movie, but why? Why? It was, it was by all indications of that. Why? I thought it was a terrible movie. Well, I hadn't seen, I hadn't seen the glory of Ang Lee before. And all his split screen. Oh, and... And Jennifer Connelly, who's infinitely hotter than Liv Tyler. But at any rate, we're going to move on <laughs> and stop discussing these things to a movie about a geek that may be even geekier than us or geekier than anybody else alive. He's played by Jay Baruchel, who you know from Knocked Up, all the Apatow movies, Tropic Thunder, etc., etc. And he is uh, scoring a 10, so to speak, in Alice Eve, and she's out of my league which is actually, Michael, I thought more of a rom-com than a raunch-com, which the trailers and things seem to be purporting. Yeah, I think a lot of the uh, trailers kind of focused on that, hoping to draw in more of a crowd, you know, hoping to go for the Apatow crowd, I think. Yeah, a lot of teenagers and things, but it, it I think the or movie... Or like young adults. You know? Yeah, I think the movie could have really... Uh, I think it could have sold both audiences. Over. I mean, it, it's, it was marketed as such a male movie, and that's probably why I wanted to see it and why you wanted to see it, but... Uh, it only grossed $9.6 million at the box office this weekend, and I thought it could have done better because, as a matter of fact, I saw this movie with my mom, who liked it. But then again, she likes Cop Out, so... Uh, <laughs> there's a, but I think women will like this movie, no? Yeah, I guess in the end, you know, there's a lot more there than just straight raunchy jokes. Yeah, I mean, I I think there's a real love story to be had here. And basically, uh, Bar Shell and uh, Alice Eve, who's improbably hot... Uh, basically have a rather conventional rom-com, but there's some great jokes along the, the way. Uh, two of the big highlights are, of course, penis-related jokes, but uh, there's a lot of sweet humor here and there, and, I, you know, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it immensely. It's conventional, but it sometimes... You feel as though it's more of a parody of the standard romantic comedy. Well, I mean, some of the things that caught, me, I, caught my eye in it was that it didn't go for some of the conventional plot points. I, I mean, like what? Um, I'm thinking like the 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 old boyfriend, yeah, you know, coming back and trying to steal her back. Well, he's like, he really doesn't do that. Yeah. Uh, same with like the two, you know, objectionable uh, friends of the two main characters that they're like trying to get together. They don't. Uh huh. And I, I feel that those are kind of like things yeah. that are so overplayed in other romantic comedies. I think that's right, and you know, I, some of the stuff didn't sit too well with me. I thought that it took me a long time to warm up to the friend dynamic. Uh, Nick Swartzen plays one of the friends, and but there's some really good stuff there later. It's just, at the beginning, they seem to make these guys seem too geeky to me. Like, these, this doesn't exist in real life. It made me want more like to have actual normal people in a romantic comedy for once, but I guess the fact that it made me crave that is a sign for the good and not the bad because normally they're just so artificial that uh, you know you end up just throwing your hands up. I don't. I, I don't know. I don't get the kind of geeky feeling that I got with you know like forty year old virgin geek like that. 
but more like... But see, the difference between that, this movie and an Apatow movie is that an Apatow movie, you can talk all the... or chalk all the weird stuff up to that they're on illegal drugs. <laughs> uh, you, you know, I mean, Seth Rogen is a total stoner in those movies, so what he says is not... It's he's kind of a bright guy in a weird way, and you realize that when he's totally obscure and stoned like that, as we do in the Apatow movies. Here, everybody's presumably clear-headed, and the dialogue just feels a little too dialoguey. Mm-hmm. But I will say, Nick Schwartzen makes or does his best performance to date. He's not annoying here at all, and he's got some of these be- really clever Disney character references. <laughs> and uh, oh, and the other friend who's named what? What's his name? Stainer. Stainer. Yes, uh, and you'll hear the backstory on that one. Uh, he has a Hall and Oates cover band, and that's really funny too. So I, I think he. I mean, despite being an obnoxious character, he did it very well. Yeah, it has some good. The movie has good one-liners, good performances. I, you know, there's nothing really special here, but I will say it made me laugh. It's kind of romantic, and it's a good, happy medium for uh, couples, really. I think it's the perfect date movie because it's it's uh, got enough heart for the girls and got enough jokes for the guys. Um, I, I don't know a perfect date movie. Um, but... No, why? Because you don't want to sit through a scene about premature ejaculation with your girlfriend? No. <laughs> <laughs> I sat through it with my mother and it was perfectly fine. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not even going to go there at this I've point. I've left him speechless. Oh, by the way, you know, since you're an Always Sunny in Philadelphia fan, the, yes. bro- the brother's fiance, I really wish she was played by Caitlin Olsen. I thought that would have added something. That would have been cool. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, here, think about this. Okay. <laughs> Not that I have, uh, by the way, the movie makes some very, inter- creates some very interesting phrases. Maybe, damn it. I should have called you Michael Sticky Wicket, Lester. That's a good one. Uh, also, the movie has a kind of a funny running joke about all those families. It's not as big here on the West Coast, but all those families on the East Coast who head to Branson for uh, vacations. And that's good. Uh, the one crime here, of course, is kind of that... I don't think Jay Baruchel is that bad looking a guy, you know, it's like he's just he's he's clearly good looking enough to be the leading man in a big Hollywood movie and score that role. So uh, not that I would have wanted to see a truly ugly guy uh, (laughs) in uh, the lead role here, but it's just kind of an interesting comment. And the movie also wants us to believe that Lindsay Sloan, who actually in real life may be a little bit more attractive than Alice Eve, in my opinion, is just a hag who's uh, Jay Baruchel's ex-girlfriend. So, uh, which I didn't even believe them in the first place anyway. <laughs> you got anything to add? We, we um, seem to my, agree my so much on my, these movies. No, my only complaint with the film is that basically if they weren't a main character, they were just... The writing really wasn't there. Really? Everyone's. I felt like everyone was just kind of portrayed as a moron. Like the whole his whole family is moronic to a, yeah. a point where it's just like yeah. okay, it's it's a little bit ridiculous now. The family doesn't work that well. I mean, it's played in a very conventional mama's boy type of way, and the stupid dad, and the you know the scenes where Alice Eve is first uh, introduced to them are not that good. Yeah, but you know, I thought it made up for him in the in the supporting characters department when it eventually i mean hall and oats cover band beauty and the beast songs that's pretty sharp no i'm just saying that like 
Well, it had good writing. It, it did drop it on some characters, I think. And just as you mentioned, I really liked the dynamic between Alice Eve and her best friend. That was uh, kind of snarky and good. So I give uh, She's Out of My League three buckets out of four. I think it's the perfect little Hollywood movie, breezy. You'll forget about it a few days later, but I really liked it. And it's one of the best movies out there, in my opinion. Um, I gave it a 2.5. Okay. It's good. Yeah, All see right. it. All right, well, moving on to the Oscar-nominated shorts. Last week, we reviewed the Oscar-nominated animated shorts, uh, which, oh my God, Michael, Logo, Logorama won? That... It's like the, the message there is that any anti-corporate movie can win an Oscar. Didn't there? Didn't it get taken off YouTube for copyright violation? Yeah, which was hysterical, and a lot of Twitterers pointed out the irony because this is a movie about how trademarks and things are overruling our life, but they take it off for a copyright violation. It, uh, but man, I can't believe that the older Academy fell for something with that language and stuff, regardless of the content. It, it just does not make sense. And, you know, it was our least favorite of the bunch, right? I mean, yours too, I think. Uh, this is like second from the least. Oh, Granny O'Grim sleeping. Which actually a lot of people liked I was reading up on. But at any rate, what? we have our review of the uh, live action short films. And in the live action short films, uh, the new tenants. Well, I should state, last week, and Michael pointed this out as we were watching them, last week we commented on how dark the animated movies were. This week, they're not only dark, but they're depressing. Yeah, uh, I mean, first you start, you know, you're talking about, like, slavery, then we move on to... Uh, well, we don't want to give it away. But this too is much. So it just gets progressively worse. It's just like, how am I supposed to handle Shall this? So we escalate to Chernobyl. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so that's uh, I don't know. I mean, they're all good movies. In fact, I think the quality of the live action shorts is actually better than the animated shorts. But I would be a lot more likely to watch the animated shorts again. Well, I don't know. Just after finishing finishing these, I was like, you don't. I just realized, you know, you don't need to make a three hour movie to make it good. Yeah, I mean, these were all pretty good, and the winner of the Academy Award was The New Tenants from Denmark, but it's in English and it features American actors, so <laughs> don't let you, that throw you off, but uh, Michael, why don't you take it away? Uh, well, the film opens with uh, one of the main characters, Frank, sitting at the table, and he's just giving the litany of everything that's wrong with this world as far as, you know, you know, children in Taiwan making clothes for you and all this stuff, and it actually all stems from the fact that his partner i guess or roommate kind Depends, of left they kind of le leave it up to you ambiguous just asked him not to smoke at the table and it, it's all about this you know as they've moved into this new apartment all these people who just keep intruding on them from the little grandma who needs some more flour to and we find know, out every this, other person this plot is far more grave than we might uh know that flower turns out to be something else and there's a lot of violence that we won't give away but this this is not for the faint of heart um no it's very surprising that it won yeah <laughs> i'm really surprised i liked it but it was you just... wouldn't think again just like logo rama you wouldn't think the generally older academy would fall for this in general uh, but I, I liked it. I mean, it's kind of darkly humorous. It's not my favorite of the bunch, but uh, I thought there was some good interplay between characters and certainly goes in uh, directions that you wouldn't expect. I, I really liked it. It was uh, shot very well. I liked how everything was set up. Mm -hmm. um, it was very clean. 
What'd you give it? Um, I think it might be my favorite. I hate to jump on the the bandwagon, so to speak, but uh-huh. I give it four to, four out of four. But four out of four, really. But it was really tough looking at all the others. I was just like, I couldn't decide. So yeah, well, I give it three out of four. I thought it was quirky and kind of fun, and uh, the final scene is really interesting. <laughs> but I couldn't fully jump on that bandwagon. I just thought it was entertaining and not all that substantive, especially as the plot rolled along and became almost more about plot than it was about character. But the one that seemed to earn critical applause and that I thought was going to win the Oscar, just looking at what the critics liked, was The Door, which is that Chernobyl movie. And strangely enough, this is uh, made from Ireland. Yeah. Uh, so don't let the countries fool you. Um, it starts out silently as we see, you know, kind of the wreckage of this uh, major tragedy that you all know about. And it eventually hones in on a family with uh, voiceover narration from the father as we see all these events unfolding in this intimate point of view. And it escalates and, you know, I don't want to give things away, but, you know, there's all the depression you could expect from that premise. And it is also very beautifully shot. It's pretty emotional, but it's easily the most depressing of the bunch. And, uh, you know, it's one of those times where I almost, I normally fault those average moviegoers who will say, oh, I didn't like it. It's depressing. Yeah. <laughs> but here I almost sympathize with that. Um, yeah, I see where you're coming from. I think that, like, the great thing about it is it took this big tragedy and really focused in on, like, a very small yeah group of people and like Mm -hmm. how did it affect these people and it did it so wonderfully even though it was depressing it did it wonderfully i I mean i like it it's just uh not my cup of tea in the end i guess i give it three out of four well you you have to remember that we saw these progressively more depressing and this was the fourth depressing one in a row started escalating i mean (laughs) but But, uh three and a half out of four yeah i give it three so that was pretty good and my favorite of the bunch uh more darkness not quite as depressing this time around it's called miracle fish from australia And uh, at first, we just see a little boy uh, who's going to school with a rather poor mother. He's being picked on for his uh, socioeconomic class at school as he opens his only birthday present, which is a miracle fish, a kind of uh, fortune teller. And uh, as it moves, we see him going to sleep in the nurse's office and he wakes up and suddenly nobody's at school anymore. So he does what you might naturally do, play around and waste time for a while in this empty school. And uh, what happens? Uh, There's actually a killer behind him. Uh, And uh, we won't tell you where it goes from there, but the school has been broken. What what do you call that when it's in lockdown and there's a guy? What do they call that? There's the school's lockdown. Yeah, but they're all gone. But you know, there's they evacuated. What are they they evacuated? Wow, I found my true purpose on the show, and that's just to give Danny words. (laughs) Like, (laughs) what was it? uh, Anonymity is that was the word you were talking around? That I just couldn't pronounce. This I just was blanking on. So yes, evacuated. Schools evacuated. And uh, he has this kind of interchange with this killer, and uh, well, I don't want to tell you where it goes from there. But it's very interesting, very kind of elegaic, very, uh, it, it goes in directions that I never expected it to. That's to say the least. No, I felt like it kept 
you know changing direction you know i was like the, everyone's gone and this thing oh well maybe this is the reason why why they're gone but and there's actually a moment where he looks at a book about extraterrestrials yeah. and uh, you think this is going that's in what i was really <laughs> weird direction i was like okay you know we're going that way so it's uh fascinating and entertaining and uh dark certainly but it will keep you guessing and on the edge of your seat and it's my favorite three and a half buckets out of four three and a half for me as well Perfect. And then, well, for, we're going to do uh, the opening one next, which is called Kavi from India. And it's more deep down depression. Uh, Michael kind of liked this one, so I'll let him tell you about it. Um, Kavi starts off about this boy named Kavi. And him and his family are basically poor brickmakers, and his father's indebted to the man who owns this company. And basically, his whole family has to work for him. And really, what it's all about is. These, uh, I, I, I guess, investigators uh -huh. who, who are trying to help these slaves out and how Kavi really wants to, you know, go to school and play cricket, really. And just, I guess it's commenting on the whole state of India at this point in time. Yeah. Now, why'd you like it? <laughs> I don't know. I felt like it wasn't particularly, like, uh, sensational, at least what I would expect. Oh, I disagree. I felt like it, you know, wasn't saying like, oh, look how bad their lives are. I felt like it was like a little more like, well, we're actually trying to fix things. Really? I just felt like it was the standard like white liberal guilt piece. Mm. And uh, when can I go to school? Uh, you know, as Kavi says uh, in Hindi, of course, but, you know, it just has all this didactic and those those ridiculous shots to show you the contrast between the rich kids in the blue school uniforms and Kavi in his worn out tank top and oh. <laughs> I mean from the opening shots it just seems like it's just a saccharine and look at this poor boy and it just just felt like the epitome of white liberal guilt to me so clearly I didn't uh, like it at all but what I did pay attention to there's a final film, which is called Instead of Abracadabra, which is the typical Scandinavian comedy. It's weird, it's understated, it's eccentric, and it's about... Uh, well, hold on. Okay. We have to state that the, we thought this was going to go in the depressing direction oh, as yes. well. Based because... on the fact the opening line was, do you have a machete I can use? <laughs> yeah, that could have gone definitely in a, in a bad uh, direction. And in fact, someone does get harmed by a machete. Uh, but machete is like a broadsword. Yeah, whatever the hell that is. Uh, but, uh, you know, it goes in the generally uplifting direction, I would say. And it's certainly a comedy. It's about a young magician uh, who's still, well, not really that young. He's a 20-something-year-old magician. He's 25, I think. Yeah. Still living at home with his parents. And, uh, you know, typical, he's not very good. Uh, in the opening scene, he uh, tries to pull one of those, you know, I'm going to uh, run a sword through you, but you're not going to get injured type uh, deals and uh, ends up, Sending his mother to the emergency room, which doesn't work out too well. And the rest of the movie is kind of in that emergency room. He meets uh, kind of a love interest for him, and he wants to woo her with his magic. <laughs> <laughs> what else is there to say? I mean, he... what's the line? Shimei. Shimei, yeah. So that, that's what he says instead of Abracadabra, as the title indicates. And, you know, I thought it was funny. 
Um, yeah, it's definitely a, a break from the rest of the the nominees, and I thought, yeah, it, you know, the music and the the shots worked really well. Yeah. Um, and it didn't bore me into submission. Clearly, like coffee. Okay. Uh, th- <laughs> three buckets out of four for instead of abracadabra for me. Uh, as about three point five. Wow, you really like these live action shorts. I thought they were pretty good, and uh, like I said last week, and I think you agreed with me that people really should start looking into the shorts. It shouldn't be like when you're at the Academy Awards, you're just like, oh, these are the shorts. Yeah, that's check- cool. That one won. Yeah, check them out on your cable video on demand uh, feature. Uh, which you can get on most major cable things, Cox, Cablevision, Time Warner, Bright House, etc., etc. On our uh, cable, it disappears on March 18th, so you've got to watch these shorts pretty quickly here. But, uh, you know, you get like five you know, short videos, and it's about 90 minutes altogether. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a pretty nice deal. Yeah, I'd say for six buckets... Bucks, it's definitely worth <laughs> six buckets. So good. <laughs> six buckets out of four. No, uh, for for six bucks, it's definitely worth your while, and it'll expose you to some interesting and diverse short films. So next up, we're gonna be talking about our dear friend Corey. Well, actually, more like a dear friend of any child of the '80s, which we weren't really. I mean, we were. Born in the late 80s, but I gotta say, Michael, I've, I had, until tonight, never seen a Corey Haim movie before. I think you said you'd seen Lost Boys, but that's about it. Uh, yeah, I've only, to my knowledge, I've only seen Lost Boys, but I'm a little bit flabbergasted that you haven't seen anything. I would have figured. Well, I mean, these are not like masterpieces or so. But you were, you, were, you were so, you know, ready I, to see it. You're like, yes, Corey's. Well, I gotta say, I was enthused about trying this because License to Drive, the movie we're talking about tonight, is so connected with that 80s pop. And as you know, I am a big fan of, for instance, To Live and Die in L.A., which is also, can I mention it anymore, which is also very much in that same spirit. And, you know, I, in many regards, not just because I want to live vicariously through all the characters in last year's Adventureland, which is another 80s tribute, uh, I just wish I was a kid in the 80s. It seems so much simpler, so much more fun, don't you think? I mean... Well, based on this movie, yeah, it seems I mean, so. Like, I, I don't know. I, I love the family dynamics of the 80s, and it seems... I don't know. In part, I wish I uh, did not have all these resources and the computer and things as a teenager, and, you know, you would still get to take advantage of all these things later in life, but... It's all just about pizza and punch in these movies. <laughs> I just gotta say, I I wish... And you know, there's a very interesting party scene in this movie where everybody's like dressed up in, in <laughs> extravagant dress. I wish I would have... And not to mention, somebody as nerdy as Corey Haim could go to some cool kid's party. There's, there's none of that... That's one of the things I love about that. No that, hierarchy. That makes it not 70s and not 90s is... Yeah, there's no... No, like, talk about the popular kids and things. Uh, Corey Haim actually ends up going out with um, the most popular Heather, Heather Graham, who, uh, I at risk of sounding like a pedophile, is actually very hot here. <laughs> Didn't she say she was, like, 18? She was 18 when the movie came out. But, uh, <laughs> uh, basically, what should we do? Well, Corey Haim, uh, apparently, of an apparent drug overdose, I mean... He's an 80s star. I'm, <laughs> I doubt uh, the autopsy will refute this. The mother is saying 
that the coroner's preliminary finding in the autopsy was that he died of pulmonary congestion and was suffering from an enlarged heart and water in the lungs, which of course could have been drugs. But there are reports that he became a real junkie and his old pal Corey Feldman, who appears in License to Drive, said he'd become very distant and isolated and there was a lot of talk about Haim's drug use. But let's focus on brighter days. Uh, in recent years, he'd just become a washed up 80s star like many of them. In fact, he even starred in the direct-to-DVD sequel to The Lost Boys recently. So let's just say he was pretty washed up. But we're focusing on better things and License to Drive certainly is a better thing. I love the movie, Michael. Don't you th I mean... Do you like it? I mean, what's... I mean, <laughs> I had a laugh. I, it was better than I expected. I gotta say, I think it, it showed at the New Beverly in L.A. for a midnight show over the summer, and I really regret not going to it. I think it'd be a fun midnight, yeah. I think it'd be great. And uh, basically, Corey Haim plays that teenager who fails his driving test after... He took it on a computer, man. I took mine on a piece of paper. The 80s was like more technologically advanced than we are, you know, when I took it in the 2000s. Yeah, but those <laughs> computers probably still look like the look the same at the DMV. They only have three buttons, A, B, and C. <laughs> I, I, issue license, the, don't the, issue the, license. The computer that tells you you fail. Or one more question until you fail. Uh, but he ends up uh, in his undying need to take Heather Graham out on a date ends up driving his well actually his grandpa's Cadillac since you know I wish the Cadillac was a cool teenage car again too like that, that's <laughs> that seems to have been lost but he drives his grandpa's Cadillac which is being harbored by his parents uh, without the license and hilarity and outrageousness ensue basically yeah and it's pure 80s but I don't even think it's it's the nostalgia alone that makes it entertaining because Haim actually, well, I mean, not exactly a great actor, does have a magnetic presence here. I got to give him that. I mean, it's it's energy filled. It's uh, enthusiastic. And uh, I mean, there's uh, if you haven't seen this movie and I'm sure it'll get a nice Blu-ray treatment with Haim's death. It's it's one to see. I mean, you got a, Michael took vigorous notes on this. Vigorous, yeah, vigorous. What, what do you what do you have on license to drive, Michael? Got anything interesting for us? I, well, I mean, there's just so many like I, I want to say they're almost eighty stereotypes, but they're just so funny in this. You know, like Feldman's the rebel, and somehow he knows how to like completely auto detail a car because they <laughs> they write themselves into a corner. His sister is like this, you know, liberal arts major, like prep. She's going to a rally and talks about how, you know, like the oppressive capitalists are controlling them and stuff like very that. Very 80s, very Reagan esque. And then they even broke the fourth wall. I took express notes on when they broke the fourth wall in the movie. Because how could you not? It just, you need <laughs> Haim's infectiousness just seeping through the screen right at you, confronting you. And, and then you're like, you know, at the end of the movie, the car's like, you know, basically destroyed, and they they say, "Well, you had some fancy driving, son, so we're just gonna let you off." Spoiler <laughs> alert! Well, now that you spoiled that, you spoiler. Uh, I gotta. Oh say come on, <laughs> come on! Uh, they could have written it on the box for all we care. <laughs> well, I gotta say, why why didn't Feldman just? Uh, 
Auto detail the car again. Again, I mean, what's up with that? It's uh, only an in eighties movie, and the score's pumping. It's it's just enthralling. And I gotta say, uh, even though he eventually clearly succumbed to eighties movie stardom in the truest sense through his demise, uh, this is a pretty good Corey Haim performance, and I'm looking forward to the next two. We're gonna be reviewing Lucas which is when he was a bit younger with uh, Charlie Sheen. We'll be looking forward to that. Uh, <laughs> another uh, 80s star in a different way, who's succumbed to his own vices, clearly. And The Lost Boys, which Michael's seen, I have not, strangely enough. Does that make me a less qualified movie lover? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. And R.I.P., by the way, while we're on the R.I.P. note, to the captain in Airplane, Captain Over. He uh, has... Died. Just breaking news. Breaking news. So Kareem uh, Abdul-Jabbar is still alive, though. Yes, but <laughs> but I don't think that I don't think that we will be featuring four of that guy's movies next month. <laughs> no. But we, we can watch Airplane four times. Yeah. Hey, you didn't join? Did you work there? We actually screened Airplane on the big screen at AMC. Yeah, you did work there at that time. No, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, you did. It was The Shining. Didn't you go to The Shining? No. No, you weren't there yet? Mm -mm. Really? Well, it was an 80s party. No, I never went to an 80s party. And I provided a copy of The Shining, which I didn't go to. Apparently, uh, you know, a girl whose name started with a C and ended in an Andis. Uh, (laughs) She... She got really scared of The Shining and ran out of the theater. Uh, but then the next morning, we screened Airplane, just four of us, and it was quite a time. It was a, it was a good memory of the captain. But And, you know, strangely enough, I kept wanting, wanting to picture people seeing it. Our old theater was a very 80s multiplex, and I just, I wish I could go back in time and watch people watching License to Drive. Right then, well, because it, it would be so entertaining in a different way. The funniest thing about License to Drive is, like, it worked. It spent 90 minutes building up to its last joke. Where you're like, when are yeah. they going to do this? <laughs> they finally do it's, it. It's, really, the last it's line. really predictable every step of the way. <laughs> but but like, what are they going to do? It? I loved it. I got to say, Rent License to Drive, <laughs> Buy License to Drive. It's it's a good one. And I can only hope that Lucas, which Ebert says actually carries some emotional half, is just as good. So we'll see next week on the Bucketcast. Um, as far as teasers go, aside from that, we're going to be reviewing a smaller movie called Prodigal Sons. Uh, which is a documentary making uh, the run around the country. And uh, we may, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what we do. I know that Michael will probably have a review of Repo Men. I may not. We may try to change it up. I may, you know, go to either The Bounty Hunter or Diary of a Wimpy Kid because we seem to be agreeing so much on these things, Michael. Uh, so maybe and we'll... don't we have a, a, a advanced screen of hot tub time machine possibly maybe. we will see what happens with that there's a real tease for you we may give you an advanced review of the hot tub time machine so stay tuned for next week on the bucket cast and we got emails and twitters uh, you can email me at webmaster at bucketreviews.com with any comments criticisms questions about the show that are hopefully just as illuminating as poblo's remark that we should be talking about nothing but kick-ass and also twitter me at bucket reviews and we're working at putting up a twitter for the show 
but we're just waiting to see how exactly we're going to best use that social media. Michael, you got an email too. Yes, Michael at bucketreviews.com. You can reach me there. So keep those in mind, and I hope that this has been enough bucket cast for you. It's looking like we're going, we've gone over two or an hour between the two parts. So I hope this has been an illuminating experience. I'm Danny Baldwin. I'm Michael Lester. And this has been the Bucket Cast. See you next week. We're on the front line. I get handed down the news. We're on the front line. Well, I never begin to choose. Just we're on the front line.